Chapter 4. Score. He woke with a start. He had dreamt of Astronomy Tower again. The sights, sounds, and smells had all plagued him ruthlessly, so vivid and vivacious. Even his subconscious was keen to mock him with the fruitful memories, licking away at his brain while he slept, so that the scene repeated itself endlessly in his head. They came every night, some more fierce than others, but they are all the same. Nightmares, tormenting him, reminding him. Failure, failure, failure. He groaned into the too soft pillow and turned over, squinting away a tenacious shaft of sunlight. The autumn sun was irritating and warm on his face, and he didn't like it. It was too garish and deceptive, fooling hopeless morons into believing it wasn't freezing outside. He could already feel the chill creeping along his skin as he pushed away the blankets to set his feet against the bitter floorboards. He shrugged on the robes he'd been given to beat a shiver, adjusting them over his boxers and vest. Merlin forbid McGonagall could have supplied him with a set of actual pajamas that might do something to battle hypothermia. He glanced out of the window, but all he could see were roof tiles, brooks, and the brazen sky that was too harsh with the sun. What was the point in having a window without a view? Stupid Gryffindors. He realized how quiet it was then, and the silence buzzed in his ears, eased only slightly by far-away birds. He arched a confused eyebrow, realizing something at the back of his brain, was telling him he'd already woken up once today, if it still even was today. Yes, he'd definitely already woken. He could sense the whispers of recollection blowing across his nerve endings. It had been the mudblood to rouse him again, with her sodding shower and clumsy footfalls. He remembered mumbling a luscious list of swear words into his mattress as he'd listened to her uncouth movements, and he'd been four more obscenities away from marching in there with dangerous intentions. But then a door had clicked closed and the sounds had stopped. She'd gone. Thank fuck. So the warmth had soothed him back to slumber, back to the nightmares. Leaving the bed, he slipped out of the room in search for something to do, and something to eat. He helped himself to a glass of milk and some cereal that Granger must have left out, reminding himself that he really needed to learn some wandless cooking skills if he ever wanted a warm meal here. Asking Granger was obviously out of the question. He poured himself a second bowl of breakfast as his eyes settled on the clock, and he released an agitated breath. It wasn't even morning at all. Not breakfast. It was almost three in the afternoon. The official sign that a normal sleeping pattern was lost with his wand. With his pride. His eyes went to the main door, and while he knew it was inevitably pointless, he set his bowl of cereal down and decided he would test it. The second his fingers grazed the handle, sparks shot up the length of his arm, crackling in his veins like spitting flames. Shit, he cursed, eyeing the red sting crowning his fingertips. With a resigned breath, he went back to the kitchenette and turned on the tap to soothe his buzzing skin with some cold water. Then his eyes fell to the kitchenette's tiles, and he started to count. Needed to do something. Needed to keep busy. You're very quiet, Neville frowned, giving her a long look. Are you okay, Hermione? Her mouth somehow molded into a too-bold smile. I'm fine, she assured him smoothly, running her hands over her strategically placed textbook. I have an arithmancy essay due, and I'm just trying to think. It wasn't technically a lie, but she'd completed her essay four days ago. 
She'd anticipated a few awkward silences between her and her friends when she'd agreed to dinner in the great hall and had purposefully brought something that she could divert her attention to. Who would bother disputing her need to study? Seamus, Dean, Ginny, and Luna had been evidently surprised when she had entered the great hall with Neville, but had all futilely done their best to involve her anyway. She was grateful for their efforts. Really, she was, but the conversation was awkward enough between the other four Gryffindors and Ravenclaw without her input. Everyone just skimmed over the subject of war, of Voldemort, and that annoyed her. But she had desired company that morning, people who she understood and could safely call friends. After all, it wasn't anyone's fault that times of turbulence could stain relationships, and it felt normal to sit with them. So she had simply nodded and offered them one-word answers, scribbling down an occasional annotation for effect. Nobody else is putting any effort into their essays, Neville mumbled quietly, and the others didn't pause their conversation about Quidditch if they heard him. I guess everyone thinks it's a little pointless at the moment, but I know how you are with your studies, so I shouldn't be surprised. She genuinely adored Neville and his clumsy sincerity. He was so endearing it made her heart ache sometimes, and she knew she wouldn't have agreed to meet the others if he hadn't been there. It helps to be distracted, she offered with a meek shrug. He gave her a small nod of understanding before Seamus mentioned his name and dragged him back to their discussion on, oh hell, she didn't even know what they were on about. She pretended to go back to the chart decorated pages, but found her sleepy gaze steering over to the Slytherin table. It was empty, of course. Of the 250-odd students that had returned to Hogwarts, only 32 bore the green tie. All were fourth years or younger, and had taken to dining and socializing with the other houses in small groups. None of them wanted to be associated with the stereotypes of their house, and had done everything to avoid association with the snake emblem. As far as she knew, they didn't even sleep in the dungeons, and had taken up in the many spare beds cluttered around the various dorms. It was sad, really. They were so desperate to avoid assumptions and bad impressions, even though their presence at Hogwarts alone was proof enough that they didn't agree with Voldemort's views. They were just like everyone else, hoping for safety and praying for it all to end. She hated Malfoy just that little bit more then, for being so fickle and conforming to the stereotypes that came with Salazar's legacy, and her stare waltzed up the table to land at the spot she'd last seen him sit. She remembered how awful he'd looked during sixth year, and scolded herself for, for being so naive to the signs of what had been coming. She could remember her comments to Harry about him, and how she'd almost sounded concerned. How could she have been so blind? Hermione, a soft, feminine voice, pulled her back to the present, and she turned to face Luna. You okay there? You look a little distant. She fought hard not to squint at the irony-laced comment. I'm fine, Luna, she sighed, gesturing to her book, just having a bit of difficulty focusing on this. I think I might head up to the library. Already, Ginny frowned, and Hermione noted her concern was genuine. You've barely touched your food. The brunette glanced down at her half-nibbled Sunday roast. I'm not that hungry, she shrugged, pushing her plate aside. I had quite a big breakfast. She could see their reluctance to believe her, and she couldn't blame them. She knew she'd lost some weight since Harry and Ron had left, but it wasn't so much that she was starving herself, or really eating less food at all. She just ate at abnormal times. It was the insomnia again. Maybe she should take up Slughorn on his dreamless sleep potion offer. 
Do you want some company in the library? Neville offered earnestly. I guess I could work on my herbology essay. No, that's fine, she shook her head, rising from the table. I know you don't like the library, and you haven't finished your dinner. I might pop up later, then, he compromised, spearing another sprout with his fork. It was nice to see you, though, Hermione. It really was, Ginny nodded, accompanied by a hum of agreement from Seamus and Dean. Will you come see us tomorrow? No. I'll try, she breathed quietly, giving her fellow lions and the blonde eagle a soft smile. It was nice to see you all, too. She gathered her belongings and turned to leave with a delicate wave in their direction. She could already hear their hushed tones fluttering amongst the great hall as she left, all discussing how bad she looked, no doubt. They would talk about the dark smudges under her bloodshot eyes and how her skin had turned a shade paler. Nothing vicious or remotely backstabbing, just the truth. Just words of worry. Perhaps she would have felt guilty if her body could accommodate any more negative emotions. But it couldn't. Thoughts of Malfoy had pretty much filled her to the brim with spicy notions, and combined with a lot of loneliness and a dash of despair, she just didn't have the room. The hope was still there, though, just a flicker of optimism about the size of her heart that refused to perish. She clung to it desperately sometimes, and then cursed it the next moment. It was what kept her going and encouraged her late-night endeavors to read everything about Horcruxes, and also what led her to continue order training with McGonagall. Yes, it was there. It just went missing sometimes. The library was alive for a change. A few third years were crowded around a table discussing some potions homework, and another desk was full with a set of fourth years. Madame Pince was tucked away in her usual spot, too, with her beak stuck in a book and her narrow stare peering over the pages to watch the students. Hermione offered the sullen library a nod, which wasn't reciprocated, before she looked back around the space with unsure eyes. She spotted another batch of pupils behind a bookcase and decided the library was too busy for her liking. She needed solitude. She headed to the restricted section and plucked two of the books she needed from the shelf and decided she couldn't stay here if she wanted to read in peace. She slipped the weighty text in her bag and contemplated going outside, but the weather was hardly suitable for a reading session. She just wanted to go back to her room and curl up on the couch with a hot chocolate and literature for company. But he was there. Her brow creased with determination. Well, she was not going to be exiled from her own room because of that bastard. She refused. Why should she have to alter her routine just because of Malfoy? If the slimy prat played up, she could just lock him in his bedroom. She cast a quick concealment charm on the books as she left the library, her intelligence warning her that it wasn't wise for him to know the subject of her interest. If the little swine found out and somehow managed to escape, no doubt he would go skipping back to Voldemort expecting a pat on the head for foiling Harry and Ron's plans. Her strides back to her dorm were bold and purposeful, building her up with adrenaline to ready her for a confrontation. Mumbling the password to the main door, ad lucem, she shoved open the door harder than necessary, and her eyes found him instantly. Whatever she had expected to find him doing, this wasn't it. He was perched on the counter, separating the living space from her kitchenette with his hands braced at his sides. His shoulders were relaxed and his head slightly tilted to the side as he absently tapped one of his fingers against the mahogany surface. He hadn't noticed her, even after she had closed the door with a silent tug and taken some small steps into the room. She craned her neck so she could catch the right side of his face, 
realizing that his familiar scowl was still in place, darkening his features. She wondered briefly how his agitated expression could be so permanent, but then realized that her mouth had scarcely risen at the corners for several weeks. His scowl wasn't necessarily angry, though, more concentrated than anything else. Hermione peered a little closer, like he was a rare and dangerous bird that she had simply stumbled across. She followed his steadfast glare to nothing but the wall of white tiles. Her lips parted with a look of irritated confusion. What the? What the hell are you doing? She questioned sharply, watching as he flinched in surprise and snapped his head to look at her. Ah, there was the anger. Clearly she had disturbed him in some way, and he was furious about it. Her amber eyes flickered to the tiles again to see if she had missed something, but there wasn't so much as a blemish against the ivory ceramic. Bloody hell, Granger, he roared, hopping off the wooden top with fluid mov movements. I've lost count now, you stupid. Count? She repeated, instinctively laying a hand over her pocketed wand. He didn't near her like she'd expected, just shifted his weight between his legs and regarded her impatiently about 15 feet away. He still felt too close, though. What were you? What the fuck are you doing here? He snapped quickly. I live here, she hissed, crossing to the sofa and dropping her heavy bag. And I have some work to do, so leave me alone. And where exactly would you have me go? He countered, folding his arms over his chest. He rolled his shoulders like he was preparing for a brawl, and she could see his muscles rhythmically fluctuate under the gray polo neck. I really couldn't care less, she answered crisply. Go to your room. Why should I? Draco growled, eyeing her with a calculating glare. You can come and go as you please, so you should go somewhere else. This is my room, Malfoy, she yelled, bawling her fists defiantly. You're just here because the Order feels sorry for you. He snarled. I'm here because you bloody morons can't mind your own business, he shouted, always sticking your noses in and thinking you're helping. We are helping you. Well, I don't want your fucking help, Draco screamed, his tone loud and reverberating amongst the dorm's antique acoustics. I never wanted your help. Well, you've got it, she interrupted calmly, unable to help the haughtiness to her voice. So stop complaining like the spoilt brat you are and piss off. I'm waiting for you to piss off, the witch retorted. I need to do some work. Why don't you go into your room, he asked snidely taking a long stride towards her. Or better yet, sought off to the tower with the rest of your dickhead friends. Because I shouldn't have to. Why do you Gryffindors always insist on making things more difficult? He questioned, completely serious. You're always chasing trouble, and it's so bloody stupid. And then you wonder why people are always trying to kill you. I can understand that you would find it difficult to understand, Hermione said slowly, lifting her chin that we're brave enough to stand up for what we... Don't patronize me, Granger, he rolled his eyes. Bravery my arse. You and those feckless idiots crossed the line into stupidity a long time ago. Don't you dare call me stupid, she scowled, removing her hand from her pocket to point a scolding finger in his direction. I am not... Very well, he mumbled, taking her back for a second. You might have some brain cells to rub together, but the orphan and the pauper are just bloody useless. Don't call them. And there's a lot to be said about your shoddy little group, he continued, taking another stride towards her, when it's the sodding mudblood who has the brains. The muggle 
instinct coasting through her blood goaded her to reach for the mug on the table and hurl it in his direction. And she threw it hard, harder than she had probably thrown anything in her life, but he dodged it. Bastard. She watched it shatter against the wall behind him, pretty white china raining down with a few splinters of wood. She snapped her fire gold eyes back to him, vibrating with uninhibited anger when she saw the amusement tugging at his features. I won't tell you again, Malfoy, she spat, reining in her stormy impulses to hex him here and now. Go to your room and let me get on with my work. Touch a nerve there, Granger, he drawled smugly. Was it the mudblood or my comment about the twat twins? Stop calling them. Why don't you go and irritate them with your presence? He questioned with a flippant wave. Shut up, Malfoy. No, I'm bloody serious, he insisted, a little intrigued when he noticed her lips twitch. Why the hell don't you bother Potter and Weasley instead of me? Because they're not bloody here, Hermione blurted, knowing it probably wasn't the wisest thing to tell him. She instantly saw his smirk stretch and resented the boys just that little fraction more for leaving her here, with him. They're not here, she repeated in a calmer tone, willing herself to keep her wits about her. Where are? As if I would tell you, she scoffed. Just leave me, Malfoy, before I... This is classic, he chuckled, licking his lips as though he could actually taste her frustration. Apparently it was delicious. This certainly explains a lot. She lowered her brow. What are you talking about? Why your face looks like a smacked arse all the time, he told her simply, nearing her again with a winning swagger. Why you look ready to slit your wrists. Too far. Don't be ridiculous. The golden trio separated, he mused, more to himself. That must hurt, Granger, knowing that the only two people who can actually stand you have up and left. At least I have friends. But they're not here, are they? He reminded her with a telling click of his tongue. Must be a bugger not being able to get your leg over Weasley anymore. She sputtered but drew in her mortification with a quick breath. Ron was, Ron was her friend, nothing more. She had hoped for more and sacrificed her innocence to him before he'd left with Harry. It had been uncomfortable, and he hadn't particularly handled it well. And it had been made painfully clear to her that a relationship with him was off her cards, although some of those pesky romantic feelings towards him st seemed to linger. Maybe after all the drama of the war had settled. Ron and I are none of your business, she muttered defiantly, realizing she had probably remained silent too long. Stop being such a... Perhaps you prefer Potter, then, he accused with a disgusted snort. Merlin, you three are pathetic. She wanted another shot with the mug, but no. She wanted an advantage that didn't rely on her skills as a witch. He was closer now, and she noticed briefly that he smelled of orchards and sleep. His actions were too graceful and fluent, like he had planned this all meticulously, with her humiliation as his goal. Her fingers flexed with the desire to wrap around her wand, but she wanted to deal with him without magic if she could. She couldn't very well curse him every time they argued, even if it was a ridiculously enticing prospect. She was a clever girl, and quick with her tongue. She could handle him. She could. She needed a new approach, so she placed her hands on her hips and attempted to mirror his cockiness. Fair enough. He knew what made her temper tremble, but he had his weaknesses, too. It must be difficult for you, Malfoy, she said smoothly, pleased when he cocked an eyebrow with curiosity. 
watching the people you deem inferior doing so much better than you. What are you, Harry, with his quidditch? She listed proudly, withdrawing her wand and toying with it between her nimble fingers. Me with my grades. Are you implying I'm jealous, Granger? He questioned sharply, his voice a repulsed rumble in his throat. Because I would rather... It would certainly explain a lot, she reasoned casually, as though she was debating her homework with a friend. She tapped her wand coolly against her palm. Nothing offensive, just a little gesture to remind him that she had magic on her side. All hatred stems from something. I mean, we have managed to accomplish a fair bit in the last six years. Fucking well done to you. As far as I can recall, she carried on, ignoring his sarcastic hiss with ease. You have yet to do anything particularly interesting with your life, Malfoy. Shut it, Granger. And anything you've tried to do, Hermione pushed, unable to stop herself now that impending victory was warming her bones. You have always failed miserably. Shut your... I remember the time in second year, she went on, rubbing her chin in an almost pensive way. When you fell off your broom and lost the Quidditch game to Harry, wasn't your father there? He snarled and went to grab her, but when she flicked her wand towards him, he halted. I warned you not to discuss my father. And I bet he wasn't too pleased when he found out your grades were second to a mudblood, she said, noting that his scowl hardened when she used the derogatory t term for herself. Don't talk about my father, he repeated, his voice low. But she faltered when she noticed it wasn't particularly threatening. More irritated, and perhaps a little wounded. That was unsettling. Then don't talk about my friends, she murmured finally, watching his jaw clench as an unvoiced agreement was passed between them. He looked a little more human then, and she wanted to punch him again. Are you going to leave me in peace, or do I have to put you in the room myself? He growled, but to her utter surprise and bafflement, he actually moved away from her with a couple of backward strides. His rain-cloud stare didn't leave her, though, just stabbed her like he was trying to melt her away through will alone. When I get out of this shit pit, he started with a dark murmur just before he reached his door, and I get my wand back, I'm coming straight for you, Granger. I'm sure you will, she nodded with trained indifference. His eyes swept up and down her with a swift swish of his tar-puddle pupils. And then, almost in a blur, he was out of her sight, with only the expected loud crash of the door to split her ears. She stared at it with slightly widened eyes and chewed at her bottom lip, with a proud grin yanking the corners of her mouth. She had done it. She had managed to get him to leave her alone without using magic. Hermione fell back into the couch and felt a proud giggle shimmy up her windpipe. She had beaten him despite her earlier troubles when he had decided to bring the boys into the argument. She'd had the last word. She'd gotten what she wanted. And while she didn't realize it, she allowed herself a smile that wasn't forced for the first time since she had waved goodbye to Harry and Ron. And that had been almost four weeks ago. Bitch. Back in the small space, he would swear the four walls had shifted slightly. The room definitely felt smaller, and it made the beginnings of a cool sweat lick his forehead. He had half a mind to charge back in the sitting area and start screaming at her again, but then what would it accomplish? All she would do was abuse her magic, and he would end up back where he was, but probably in a bit of pain to make his day just that little bit more dismal. He covered his face with his palms and dragged his scratching fingers through his hair.
He'd never felt so degraded in his 17 years. When had his life deteriorated so much that he had landed here, supervised like a pissing child by the muggle-spawned scum, trying to avoid becoming one of those sanity-drained freaks that mumbled nonsense to themselves when the walls had gotten too close. But it could have been worse, he mused. It could have been the weasel. That would have definitely ended in bloodshed by now. At least Granger wasn't a brainless prick and could actually back up her arguments. He went to the bed and slumped into the fabrics, resting his elbows against his knees and staring at the withered floorboards. His eyes shifted to the bedside table and he opened the drawer, peering inside to find only a discarded quill and a Gryffindor tie. Perhaps he could use it to hang himself with when he'd finally gone insane in this place. When the walls... He snatched up the quill and waltzed his fingers up the silky feather strands. He glanced back to the drawer to check if there was any ink or parchment, but there wasn't. So he leaned back on his bed and brought the nib to the mahogany headboard. He sliced at the dark wood and carved an M and a G, and then dissected the letters with a defined line between them. M for Malfoy, G for Granger. He would have put M for Mudblood if his surname didn't start with the same letter. All right, he would admit that she had won this argument, but he had certainly won yesterday's. It only seemed rational to keep score, and it was something else to feed his habit for counting. He scrawled a short line under each letter to indicate their respective scores and made a silent vow that she wouldn't get any more marks for the duration of his stay. Then his eyes went back to the floor and he started to count. First the boards, then the cracks in between. All right, welcome back to the Dramini Fan Fiction Podcast. It's your host, Kaylee G, and um, a special guest once again, who just seems to be a regular co-host at this point. <laughs> Guess who it is? Matthew is back. Oh my gosh. You can't get rid of me. I can't get rid of you. I've tried. Trust me. I'm just always here. I'm begging him not to show up, but <laughs> he makes an appearance somehow. <laughs> I, I just, I teleport here every time I hear you filming a <laughs> a podcast. I, I just appear. I apparate. Yeah, you do. Oh my gosh. You know, you know the, all the, the tea. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. Um, so life has been a little crazy, right? Did you say that life is kind of crazy during this? whole pandemic stuff uh i mean to be honest it's been like 90 degrees here in washington where yeah. we live for the last uh, two weeks so i've kind of forgotten about the coronavirus because i'm sweating so much <laughs> so maybe i'm just dehydrated from from not drinking enough water but, yeah. yeah like yeah. at least in places that are actually hot all the time like in georgia or i don't know california all the houses have air conditioning because they need it but we don't have it here because washington it's like never hot and then we all forget that there's one month out of the year where it's, like, boiling hot and everyone's just dying of heat every night. <laughs> and we're just not ready. We're not ready for it. Yeah, not ready for it. One little tiny fan doesn't help. <laughs> um, yeah, so a couple weeks of uh, just life being a little crazy. I took a crazy test for my teacher certification stuff, and it just there's been so much going on that I'm really excited to get back to hopefully regular weekly updates and you know I'll just it's fun doing this it's fun rereading isolation and talking about it it's just the coordination of you know um 
recording everything that that I'm trying to figure out how to get into a good routine with that but it it is really fun so I'm excited to get back to it um so this week as you've already heard if you listen to the first half of this um we well I read uh chapter four of isolation this chapter comes after uh we had done a the last episode of the podcast was um an interview with Jules Beth, so we totally got away from isolation the last episode, but to give a little bit of a summary of what was happening in the first three chapters is that Hermione and Draco are now um, forced to live together. Draco's stuck in her room. Um, She does have two rooms within her little apartment there, but he has one of them. So he's there. He doesn't have his magic. He's been super isolated and, you know, they've been fighting. He's counting things because he's going crazy. She's um, feeling kind of isolated from her friends. She's missing Harry and Ron. It's this whole crazy kind of thing that's happening. Um, And we see a lot of that in this chapter, too kind of just this continuation of um the day-to-day experience between the two of them so right out the bat we start with Draco waking up and he woke up from nightmares he's been having nightmares about the astronomy tower what is what does that kind of tell you what do you think that means well, the most important thing that I think you left out is I think it says specifically that he woke up at like three o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, yeah. Which I couldn't identify with more. You know, I read that and I was like, <laughs> Oh my god, man! I, you know, I, I kind of saw myself in Draco a little bit when, when I read that. I was, you know, three o'clock in the afternoon. I was like, that. Not only does that take like skill, it takes effort. You know, because three o'clock in the afternoon. I mean that. That's late. You know, back when I lived with my parents, I would get realistic if I got up past like noon and three o'clock is just, you know, that's, that's serious. So, yeah, but obviously he was talking about him having insomnia and dreaming about the, the, the tower and all that other good stuff. Um, yeah. I was just really tunneling on the three o'clock thing because, you that know. That is so funny. I wish I could sleep till three o'clock because my insomnia is like super real, but it's because at like midnight or 1am that's when all my good ideas come and so I you know mm. wake up and I stand I, I get up and I'm like you know you're sound asleep and you're like oh what are you doing I get up and I'm just <laughs> like I have to go downstairs and write out this whole three chapter thing that I just came up with yeah. at one in the morning so I'm saying, I'm saying it. it's, yeah. it's the dream three o'clock you know Draco's talking about it being like a bad thing and I'm I'm sitting here saying you know you should be you know thanking your your lucky stars or whatever you know yeah i mean i guess he mentions uh hermione wakes him up at some point for her morning shower or whatever but yeah he realizes that it's not the first time he's woken up that day um so yeah like you said he is hearing her in the shower and apparently she makes little like moans or something i don't know i I sing in the shower i don't know about anyone else but like um but she's like moaning or something i don't know what she's doing girls like having a real good time in the show. Uh, yeah i guess hermione's gonna be hermione you know she's, she's blowing <laughs> off some steam she's got draco malfoy in the other room you know he's trying to sleep till three o'clock it's just not good times in the in the dorm room there so yeah yeah <laughs> oh that's good um i was kind of thinking so back to the astronomy tower dream stuff i was kind of thinking like what could it mean that he's dreaming like that he's so haunted by his failure 
at the astronomy tower. Like, I know that you obviously, you know, it really bothers him that he has failed at things that he's tried to do. But I also wonder, too, if it's kind of like a... I think deep down, it just haunts him that uh, it's all super real. Like, that was a very real thing, and he was put in a in, like kind of an impossible dis- decision, like an, an impossible position. And so I wonder if, like, maybe he thinks that it's his failure that's haunting him, or deep down it's really the position he was put in, you know? And, like, where he's at, he's kind of realizing, like, well... Um, this is the side I'm on. This is where I'm at in this world. Yeah, I mean, I think if he had not screwed up, or at least in his mind, at the astronomy tower and killing Dumbledore, right, then he uh, at least thinks he wouldn't be in the situation he is right now. But, mm-hmm. you know, my sneaking suspicion is that maybe this worked out for the best for him. So, you know, those nightmares will turn into rejoice at some point when, you know... Voldemort is swiftly destroyed by McGonagall and her <laughs> amazing wizard powers, you know? Yeah. My predictions for what's going to happen, but yeah. I mean, he's, uh, I actually couldn't quite remember exactly what that meant until I remembered that he was referring to the Dumbledore thing. I was like, did I miss oh. something in the story or what was he? But yeah. then, then I remembered it was, it was from the kind of the main story that yeah. he was thinking yeah. about. So Exactly. Yeah, so then, okay, so a little bit later, he gets up, he goes out, he's starting to count or something, I don't know, he's, oh no, he gets, um, he gets his cereal, because he can't make hot food yet, because he doesn't know how to cook without magic, so that's a whole thing we're going to keep tracking throughout this story, because that's going to come up a little later, um, on how he figures out to basically feed himself, uh, and then he tries the door, (laughs) he knows it's not going to work, but he tries the door. And what this really told me about Draco in this moment is that he just, like, is craving for control. He just needs control. This is what I was thinking when he tried that. Okay. Why don't you try the window? You know? Hey, good point. Because yeah. he's a nimble guy, and I could, I don't really know. I mean, she kind of describes where they're at. They're in some kind of high-up place or something, and there's rooftops there. And I was, you know not really sure how far away that is or but i could see draco you know a little spider-man action and he's kind of <laughs> nimbling his way across the rooftop tiles or something um you know i'm not really sure maybe you know actually where this is where her dorm's located it's yeah tower it's or right by but, I mean, it's right it, by gryffindor tower i mean they're up is it like there. a thousand feet in the air I, it's I, really I high really up know. yeah i, I, I kind of figured he'd be able to somehow figure figure a way out of, out of the window <laughs> He didn't try that. I think he tried in one of the earlier chapters, right? Didn't when he first got into his room, he tried to open one of the windows, and it wouldn't open. I'm ninety nine percent sure that happened, but I don't remember. I can't remember because it's been like Mm -hmm. three weeks since we did something, so I don't. I don't remember him getting shocked from trying the window. No, I don't think he got shocked from it. It just wouldn't open, like it wouldn't budge, you know. Um, But this Mm. shocked him. Like there is magic that is keeping him fully locked in there. and I just thought it was really interesting to think of that. Like, he already knows it's not going to work. Um, and also, he knows, like, he doesn't want to get out of there. Because if he gets out, like, Voldemort's going to kill him. At least these people, he already knows. He's already thought through all this. Well, They're he not wouldn't leave Hogwarts. Him. He'd go, like, hide in the restricted <laughs> section or something. Or He'd, like, squat between different classrooms or something. <laughs> he, that was, honestly, I was actually thinking about that. That would be a really fun story to read. It's like Draco... <laughs> 
locked in Hogwarts, but he can't leave and no one can know he's there. So he literally, you know, there's like a class going on and he's hiding in the cupboard or something and then everyone leaves and then he, you know, at night he has to like sleep in the library or something and Hermione's in there and he's, you know, got to stay quiet. That's what the story could turn into. A lot of potential there. You know, I have some really like crack fic fan fiction stories to send you <laughs> there's some weird stuff like that is that what a crack fic is i don't know what that means I don't, honestly i don't totally know but my idea of a crack fic is that it's like just so out there and so crazy it would never happen it's just like a story i don't, for think, the it, sake I don't story. think it's even that out there i mean that's what i'm saying it could happen in this story mm, yeah one day drake was gonna try the door it's gonna work i'm picturing smeagol this is what i'm picturing like a little smeagol he's like <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what i'm imagining but <laughs> It's, you know, I mean, Draco's got to be Draco. He's got to stay alive. And Voldemort wants to kill him. So does everyone else. That'd be a pretty great story, you know. And then he, maybe he, like, makes his house the, the Chamber of Secrets or something. He just lives in there. He's like a little gremlin. <laughs> his yeah. only friend is the the shredded, the, the dead. The dead snake. There, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the dead snake is his only friend. Yeah. The dead basilisk. Yeah. Oh, boy the next wow. one the next uh, fanfic though okay. somebody write somebody write that if you're listening and you write fanfics <laughs> write write that story that's what we all want <laughs> oh my gosh that's good that's good uh okay so next we have hermione um hermione's perspective she is eating with her friends and she feels what would you say she feels like annoyed i think what she says in there she feels annoyed that no one wants to talk about the war everyone's just acting all normal and kind of avoiding everything that's real and so i kind of interpreted that as you know in the last part of the chapter draco we we found that draco was really craving for some control and in this part i think hermione is really craving for some normalcy or at least, if not normalcy, um, maybe a better way of putting it is, like, I feel like she's craving uh, acceptance of what's to come. And, wor- like, working through. She wants to be real with people and, like, work through things. Because I think, like, if you think of her relationship with Harry and Ron, if something is wrong, if they know something's happening, they're spending every single day, like in every single book, they spend every day working towards what they need to be doing to get to the next step to fix things. And all these people that she's around that are her supposed friends are like, yeah, how, so what are you up to? You know, <laughs> like, oh, you shouldn't be working so much in the library. You know, it's kind of probably annoying for her because she's like, we need to be working towards, like, we need to be mobilizing. Where's Dumbledore's army? Like, we need to start doing things she's spending all her time in the library because she's researching horcruxes going day by day getting you know step a step and a step and a step closer to you know being prepared for the war what do you think about that that's good that's good analysis right there on the other side i would say you know neville and these guys they're just trying to be regular students just imagine that you're just a student hogwarts you know, you just want to hang out with your buddies and play some Quidditch and, you know, drink some butterbeer or whatever, you know, have some <laughs> frat parties in whatever tower. Uh, and then this, you know, freaking dude named Voldemort wants to kill people and start this war, you know, it kind of yeah. sucks. Like, you know, you know, yeah. it sucks. So they're, they're trying to live a normal life. I don't okay. blame them. I don't blame them. Yeah, no, I feel that. Um, I'm going to make a really strong comparison here between real life and this. And like... Maybe this is a little controversial, 
don't know. But I really feel like Hermione is taking... She's in the social justice perspective, if you put it into our current world, right? Like, all the people that are out there... I have all these people on my feed, these friends of mine, and I try to do it as much as I can, but, you know, you do what you can. Um, The people who are, like, still posting Black Lives Matter, still posting things that, like, you know, for a lot of people who just kind of oh yeah, I agree with that, you know, when that time in early July, when everything happened with the murder of George Floyd, and all of that stuff was going on, and the marches were happening, um, people were, you know, jumping on the bandwagon, and posting their one little hashtag, and then it's like, okay, forgotten about. So I feel like maybe we can kind of relate to that, where Hermione is feeling like, you know, the people who are still addressing this stuff the people who are still out there right now that like all of the people who aren't are basically like come on okay we we already said that you know come on it's we we can't spend our whole lives worrying about this one thing and in this context of the story her my I feel like her friends are like we can't you know internally they're probably like we can't spend our whole life worrying about this inevitable war like it's just it is what it is we know it's happening but you know, what can you do? Whereas Hermione is kind of that like social justice kind of person where she's like, no, we're going to keep like, I'm, you're not, you're not working on it. I'm still working on it. We are still fighting this. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I saw a very stark comparison there. Maybe they are. I don't know. I mean, all we really got was them eating dinner together and yeah. maybe they're working pretty hard behind the scenes, you know? Yeah. They yeah. kind of imagine they are. Neville's just... Uh, trying to be upbeat and you know I mean hey that's that's an important role in this kind of stuff right you got to keep your morale up otherwise yeah. you're not going to be working uh, as hard as you could be so right that's true yeah Neville's playing the the uh, you know the optimist he's, he's keeping everyone happy and you know working hard yeah 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 and it's not a direct like comparison because I think if we put it in the context that I've I've put it in you know in the story Neville and Ginny and all of them and Luna, they're not, their silence isn't necessarily violence, right? So, like, whereas in the scenario I'm saying in real life is, I believe personally that, like, silence is violence. So, like, that's where, that's where you, you come into the problematic part of, like, okay, they're being, the people who are doing that are being problematic, whereas, like, in the story, it's, I mean, it's a story, it's a different scenario, but... That's probably the difference between where my, like, comparison is coming in. But I do think it's, like, a pretty good comparison to kind of what we're all experiencing right now. Yeah. And to be fair, to be, like, way too analytical, or maybe not. I mean, isn't the whole Harry Potter story, you know, it's, the whole, it's like, written to be a parallel of, you know, Voldemort mm-hmm. is the, the anti- uh, inclusive or whatever guy you know he doesn't like uh mudbloods and non-pure wizards and all that stuff mm-hmm. and yeah i mean that's that entire movement it's it's literally harry potter itself it's a whole story yeah so exactly. i mean your comparison kind of yeah it makes sense i mean hermione is quite literally on the other side of that and she's working every day in the library reading about horcruxes right and doing right. All the good the good work so yeah, yeah and like if you even go back to like spew you know like her whole she starts a club <laughs> you know in canon she starts a club that's like 
everyone hates it and they all think it's super radical and it's like okay don't make waves don't you know yeah we all like care about people we're good people but we're not gonna sit here and join this club and like fight for you know that's just their place like for house elves and I feel like dang that's a really really (laughs) good you know comparison of like Hermione that no one liked her then she was she was thought of as annoying and you know what a lot of people who are out there right now working on social justice and being too radical for people are like doing the actual work that it's like hey (laughs) this stuff has to happen and you're the ones that are the problems who who are against it you know like okay this has gotten super political I'm sorry (laughs) we went super far into it but I just found that like really interesting and I love that there's like an element of that that's still coming through in this story you know um okay so we also learn that the slytherins are not really there like the slytherin table is super empty and um the younger ones are the ones who came to the school and who have basically tried to separate themselves from their house you know what what's uh what does that like make you think about the um what do you call that we talked about it in like the first podcast episode the uh the house challenge battle thing of points mm-hmm. it's not very fair right now there's no slytherins <laughs> it's really not fair and when i talk we definitely talked about this in like the first or second episode yeah totally rigged uh you know dumbledore come on man slytherin i think was supposed to win <laughs> screwed them over now they're not even showing up now they're just like we have no chance you yeah know, i'm not even come to school anymore it's you know it's those little things little things that, that was kind of what i was thinking about yeah. i didn't think of that sad, at all sad i love for that i love that you think of that like dang their house points are gonna really hurt this year the the big the big hitting repercussions that's the stuff i think about you know like like yeah. wow just really rigged again this whole competition thing <laughs> you know oh my gosh (laughs) yeah you've you've pointed out a true injustice in this world thank you for your probably didn't think about that and now you're gonna think about that every single time they bring that up in the story it's like okay yeah the house cup was rigged (laughs) all the way from the first book yep yep slytherins didn't have a chance dang that's no that's good no but if if draco does something big later maybe maybe he just gets a million points by himself and carries slytherin in this year's uh house cup so i do love your prediction that that the house points are somehow going to be really significant in this story like you you're really reading it you know you're reading into it really well can you yeah. just tell me well, I, I want i want the points to be a big thing because they never talked about it and i loved that story and then it was just gone and it'd be a big twist if just you know the whole thing was actually just really came down to like a big house cup like battle or something at the end you know voldy doesn't even show up it's just like no voldemort does show up he shows up and he's on like team you know he w- he's not gonna go with the slytherins because they've been they haven't been helping him out as much as he wants so he forms his own new team nah he's a hufflepuff <laughs> Did, okay we just watched that beach games episode guys my favorite my favorite show ever is the office and matt has i've seen it a million times and matt's never seen it so i'm like forcing him to watch it with me every for a few days and we just watched the beach games episode not that long ago and doesn't jim make his team team voldemort because dwight is like yes yeah. and dwight says something 
about it. Or he says, I don't know what he says. He's like, he's the bad guy or something. It, it's yeah. so gold. Ugh, I love it. I love it. Like, they have several little tiny Harry Potter references within throughout the show. Again, uh, there's a later, later episode. I don't think you've seen it yet. But, um, oh, spoiler. Spoiler. Um, maybe you have, no, you've seen it, The Convict, where, where Michael's, he acts like he's Prison Mike, and he's like, the worst thing about prison was, was the Dementors. <laughs> and he's Just, not wrong. He's not wrong. He's not wrong. Azkaban, not a good place. Yeah. Dementors, you know. Do they kill you if they suck your soul out? Is that the, it's called I know the it's like, kiss. I know it's like painful or whatever. They, they never like show that in the movies or anything where somebody dies from that. No, Sirius gets really close to it in Prisoner of Azkaban. You know, like that whole scene by the lake where the Dementors are like coming up to Sirius and Harry tries to save him and his dad, he thinks his dad is across the lake with his Patronus. Like, yeah, anyway. Okay, back to the story. So, <laughs> so okay, next point um, to talk about is Hermione leaves kind of early and everyone's like, okay, bye. Are you sure you want to leave? Neville wants to, you know, go with her or whatever. And then something that stuck out to me in that whole section was that Hermione thinks, like, she knows that they're going to talk about her when she leaves. You know, it's like, that stuck out to me a lot. And she even said in there, like, I know it's not of malice. I don't know the exact, you know, verbatim verbiage that she uses in her in her monologue, but she knows that it's not out of, like, her, like, what do you call it? it? She knows it's not out of malice, right, that they're talking about her, but she does know that they're talking about her. And as someone with, like, somewhat major anxiety, that is always something I think about, so I related to that a lot. Like, always just, like, having this internal dialogue with yourself of, like, oh, crap, they do they like me, do they not? It's a terrible way to think, but but I wonder if that's, like, even heightened now that her best friends are gone and she doesn't have those people to kind of, like, distract her from that kind of thought, you know? Yeah, I mean, I would like to think that Neville said, she's just working too hard, guys. We should be more like her. That was That was probably what was said. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't think there's any kind of malice. I feel like I'm talking really bad about Neville and Luna and Jenny and all of them, but... And I'm always defending them. <laughs> You're defending them. <laughs> but, um, no, that's that's funny. Something I do like about this fic that um, is not true for a lot of other fics is that Hermione isn't best friends with Jenny. And I, I love Jenny as a character, and I love that they're, you know, really good friends and close in other stories, but they're not super close in this, and I think it, like, it... It's kind of sad because it could be a really good friend for her, um, someone she can really relate to, especially because she's so close with Ron. Um, but I do think that that element of it just makes it extra. It makes her extra isolated, you know. Um, so maximum hurt. So I've been writing a story and I do want to give out a little um, shout out to Haleem um, who is my alpha right now, and she's super awesome. We just met, like, a week ago, and she's been just so fun to talk to and, and, um, chat with. We finally got to actually talk over Zoom yesterday, and she's just been super, super awesome, but something that we talk a lot about is, um, and something she brought up was 
give, giving the reader maximum, the maximum hurt, basically. So you want that like strong punch of like, ooh, the feels. And it just makes it extra compelling as, as a part of the story sometimes. So um, shout out to Homine there. <laughs> um, okay, so Draco was, so Hermione gets back to the, um, her apartment. She gets back to her room and Draco's waiting there. She finds him sitting on the counter counting things and she's a little thrown off, confused about that. Um, but he immediately picks a fight and they start fighting. So, um, I don't have much to say about the fight. I mean, this kind of will happen a bit in, I think the first few chapters at least that they're in the the room together because they're it's inevitable they're gonna fight but um but yeah uh they fight and Hermione lets slip at some point that Harry and Ron are gone so I thought that was kind of like a significant piece of information that he probably shouldn't have known but that (laughs) she let slip so she screwed up yeah, yeah, but it, I mean, I feel like for the story, like, it's important that Draco knows this, because now he has this kind of, like, idea that, you know, she is actually alone. Ron's out of the picture. He has less competition now. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. That was yeah. all you were thinking about. Actually, he even said it, right? Didn't he say it in the... He said, Ron's gone, so... <laughs> well, he said it, yeah, he was a little crude. He was like, you, you're not throwing a leg over Ron or something, or Weasley or whatever, and she got really annoyed by that. And then in her internal monologue, she was saying that she she alluded to having some kind of like lost innocence with Ron so I don't know I don't know I interpret things really weird so I don't know if that meant that they had like you know slept together or something maybe I don't know or what whatever happened because she says that she like lost her innocence with Ron before he left and that that they determined that they wouldn't be a good couple. So however you want to interpret that, I mean, I I would think that that could honestly just be that they, you know, kissed or something. It could be super innocent, but like, however you interpret it, it's just, we know now as the reader that they didn't work out and that's kind of over, but that they're friends. I thought Ron just got a better grade on his uh, herbology essay or something. (laughs) And, you know, that's, like, crossing a line for Hermione. So she was just kind of like, we're done. Oh, my gosh. You know, we're never going to be together. That's funny. And Ron's like, sorry, I'm just I'm just a genius. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you know, she's never yeah. scored lower than anyone. And then Ron just comes in, swoops in, boom, top of the class. Wow. You know, her innocence is gone. She doesn't, <laughs> she doesn't know what it's like to be on the bottom. The way that you imagine things and interpret things... Not even just in this story, but in life. It just never ceases to amaze me. I just want to let you know that. Well, I I don't, you know, it could be right, you know. You got to think about these little side angles because that's the stuff that's going to end up being true and then you won't be shocked when it does. Yeah. Yeah. If you make enough weird predictions, eventually one's going to be right and you're just going to feel really good about yourself. Okay. So. That's some really good advice there. Yeah. Take that as you will. Yeah, someone should quote that Mm -hmm. put it in a book. (laughs) That should be in some kind of quote book somewhere. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So, they're fighting, they're fighting, they're fighting. And Hermione starts thinking, like, she's getting angry. And she wants to get him back. But she doesn't want to physically hit him. And she doesn't want to use her magic. So, she's, like, trying to think of how to be creative with basically hitting him where it hurts. And once again, she 
throws at him the, um, that, that, you know, he's a failure and that she's, she's, I think she says something like, it must be hard for you that, you know, people you find inferior to you are, um, better than you or you keep, keep performing better than you, you know, Harry with Quidditch and, and you, or, and me with my grades and, and it actually does really get to him, I think. So what do you think about that? She's good. That's what I thought. I thought it was it was well constructed. <laughs> um, you know, it stung a little bit. It stung yeah. me. It stung me right through the pages. You know, I'm not Draco, but I it hurt. It was as if you you touched the door and got a little zapped. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I read that. I read those words and I was zapped. Nice. Okay. Yeah, metaphorically through <laughs> metaphorically my mind. Yeah. Zapped. Well, I felt that way when Hermione threw the M word back at him. You know, she she threw mud blood back at him, you know, and basically used it about herself. So I was like, dang, girl, like that. She took ownership of it and she was like, hmm, must suck to lose to a mud blood. <laughs> and that, that like really threw him, I think. And that was kind of the end of the fight. And then he goes back and or he goes into the room. He gives up, basically, goes into the room and um, finds a quill and uh, creates a scoreboard on his headboard. I thought uh, just this whole little pot point is so cute to me. It's so funny and so cute. Like, he starts keeping track and that he gives her, you know, it's a game. Like, that to me, now it's turned into a game. And we'll start to see, and I don't want to give too much away, but, like, we'll start to see in coming chapters that this really becomes something fun for him. Um, it's something he looks forward to. And eventually we'll see, like, he kind of starts to rely on her because he's all she has, you know, and he, he obviously doesn't think about it that way. He obviously isn't sitting there thinking, you know, oh, I would love for her to come here. You know, I'd love to talk to her. He's thinking like, oh, she's going to come back. Well, if she's going to be here, then I'm going to fight her, you know, but he's giving her the credit that like credit where credit's due. He gives her credit for her win there. Yeah. Draco knows, knows fighting. I mean, he's uh, an expert at it. So, you know, when somebody outclasses you, 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 you know, you admit it. Yeah. I have a lot of respect for Draco for that. Actually, <laughs> It was good. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. I, I think it's like just the perfect way to make the story for me personally. I can't really read. I can read unbelievable stories within the fandom, but I, enjoy reading believable stories more you know um so I feel like this kind of element to it makes it more believable to me because it makes it like he's in my mind I'm thinking like okay this makes sense Draco's found his match right like someone who's just as smart as him they're total opposites within society but they're actually really similar personally in a lot of ways it's just that he uses his anger and his you know prejudices as like a defense mechanism because he's insecure about his failures and he's insecure about you know he wants to um please his father because he's scared of him he also has to um you know is basically being uh forced to go down the dark path and follow Voldy and so I think it just like it just all was meant to be that way for him even though he probably if he had not had any of that 
ingrained into him, he wouldn't have been that way, you know? So I feel like now this, this makes it believable to, to me. He's, he's, you know, able to actually like see something in someone else and he, everything else is taken away. Like he doesn't have his father to sit there and criticize him and expect things of him. He doesn't have to answer to Voldemort. He doesn't have to, you know, um, do any of those things that, that he has done his entire life for 17, 18 years, whatever it is. Um, so I just think that that personally for me makes things more believable and it makes it more of like a, a really interesting, compelling story. Yeah, and Hermione's going to really not be happy when she finds out that he's uh, scratching the crap out of out of her uh, dresser. Or <laughs> yeah, what is it? A, it's I think a it's headboard his headboard, yeah. Yeah, expensive mm-hmm. he- headboard. She probably had to pay for. And no, she did that's not. not. It's in Hogwarts. Nice, she did Draco. not have to pay for it. <laughs> and you don't know that. Okay, maybe, yeah. Maybe she yeah. had to furnish her own Maybe her, her parents <laughs> created this for her specifically, and it's like a family heirloom, and he's now scratching into it. And it's in the spare, but yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Well, it's not as important as her headboard. I mean, they made two for her. So the second one is, you know, <laughs> but either way, she's, you know, it's not going to be great. That's what I'm waiting for. When, when she finds out, you know, she's going to go, she's going to go in his room at some point and see this. And she's just going to lose it. <laughs> the stuff you come up with. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but like, okay. When he leaves Hermione, uh, we, we, we know we, or we find out that her, this brings Hermione like, because she won, basically. This brings Hermione her first genuine smile. So we get Draco, like, we already see that Draco's seeing her as this, like, equal playing field where he's um, able to kind of, like, he's met his match. And so it, like, intrigues him, I think. Um, and then we see on Hermione's part that she is brought, like, some kind of excitement from it. You know, like, she actually gets a genuine smile out of this so i don't know i feel like we're seeing on both sides now that they're they're both kind of like realizing that it's something that's keeping them going something that's interesting yeah he's converted her i i didn't expect it out of hermione but she is now taking pleasure in his suffering his pain (laughs) yeah yeah you know she beats him in a little word battle uh, you know, whatever you want to call it, and she's happy about it. So, yeah. I would I be like, too. I was like, "Come on, Hermione, you know, expect yeah. a little better out of you." That's that's not that's childish. You know, I thought <laughs> okay. you were a little more mature than that, Hermione. But okay, we'll see where this goes. <laughs> that's funny. Um, <laughs> well, that's all I had for this chapter. It's it's shorter, so I know we're gonna get into some longer chapters coming up. Um. And we'll get some more depth. I'm hoping that there are more things that, like, really start to stand out, too. You know, like, that we start... Because I can't exactly remember some of the bulk of this. So I'm actually really excited to start reading again for some of these middle chapters. I can remember what happens, so... Yeah. And, I'm, and I'm looking forward to finding out how Drake is going to get out of this room. <laughs> yeah. Is it going to be the window? So after reading yeah. this chapter, what are your what are your predictions for the next chapter or the next I already two said or three. It. I said at the very beginning, Draco's going to escape. He's going to live a life uh, as a fugitive within Hogwarts. And he's going <laughs> okay. to, you know, he's going to be like a ghost in the classroom. Like stuff's going to shake or the cupboard's going to move. It's really just Draco <laughs> hiding in there because no one can know he's there. He's going to yeah. sleep in the restricted section and he's going to watch Hermione study or something. And 
you know, fugitive Draco. And if it doesn't mm-hmm. happen, then so whoever's listening to this, again, go ahead and write that story. I think I'm, you. I'm I think you should that. write it. Maybe I'll. If no one takes the reins on it, I might have to. I think you should. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would. I would be on board with that. I would read it. Yeah, you would read it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I'd have some serious readership then. Yeah. I'm gonna make my own <laughs> podcast about that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, maybe I can guest on yours then. Could okay. be a, a yeah. guest. I'll think about it. <laughs> good that's yeah that's the goal okay great well this was a great discussion about this chapter um and i'm looking forward to reading more with you let's do it let's do it all right thanks guys for listening i hope you have a great week and we'll see you next week